Hey everybody, this is Mike Joseph, host of the Detoxicity Podcast. Before we begin this week's episode, I want to remind you, please subscribe, rate, and comment on this podcast wherever you're listening to it. You can find me on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy and on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph. Reach out via DM with comments, or if you know someone who'd be good to feature on an episode, or if you yourself would like to be interviewed, you can also email me for that. I am at DetoxPod at gmail.com. Finally, just want to remind everybody to wear a mask and social distance. Please be kind to others and be kind to yourselves. Thanks for listening, and I hope you and yours stay and remain safe and healthy. The Face Radio is an independent network of shows run out of Brooklyn, and on today's show I'm talking to Curtis Powers, who is the founder of The Face and also one of the station's DJs. Uh, Curtis is also the creative director and a partner at Analogy, a creative consultancy focusing on culture and lifestyle. Curtis views himself as a connector. I've never heard that term used for anyone besides myself, and that's not a humble brag or anything. I've just never heard that word used towards anyone else before. He places a lot of value on interpersonal relationships. From growing up in a hardcore scene to having an epiphany in his 40th year, Curtis has a lot on his mind. He is a talker. I love it. Let's hear what he has to say. Curtis Powers, y'all. All right. I, I love these that, like, in my mind, I was like, okay, I really want to think about what I'm going to say in this thing. But uh, it's almost a little bit better that I'm just, like, on the spot, don't know where I'm going. And funny enough, somebody asked me this question on a podcast, like, about a month ago. And the way that I wanted to answer it didn't come out that way. And so I didn't come out the way that I, I had hoped. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a second. Okay. And also <laughs> without sounding like a pretentious prick. I have this thing, right, that I feel like that the things that we do aren't always necessarily like the why that we're here. <laughs> right. And so I'm going to, I'm going to try to tie it into to that kind of that, that method, but yeah, so here we go. Cool. Hello, Mike. <laughs> Hello, Curtis. My name is Curtis Powers. I am a, <laughs> I am a creative first. I would say that. And I'm a connector. I started the face radio in Brooklyn, New York, um, a small, international, I should say global radio station, been broadcasting for a few years now. I'm a creative director for a small uh, creative consultancy called Analogy. And I am a, I try to be <laughs> a connector and inspire through both just conversation as well as coaching and things like that. I, so you <laughs> are the first person I have ever heard or that I can remember defining themselves as a connector and I've heard that uh, descriptor used in reference to me before. So it's really interesting hmm. to be having this conversation with you. What does connection, how do you define connection? What does it mean to you? That's a great question. I think first and foremost, I think as we, as we find ourselves in, in I guess, the, the realm of, of social media where, where everything is about us getting right? Everything is about us collecting, you know, our numbers, like how many likes did we get? How many friends do we have? How many, whatever. I think for me, the, like the bigger currency, and, and that's not to say that it's not partially selfish. I, I find a reward when I connect to people that I feel like have something that I feel like, like you see combustion on two, you know, waiting to happen. And you're like, you know what? Those two just need to know each other. And, and I think that we, especially from the industries that I come from, you know, I mean, music, DJing, especially creative working in, in either tech or advertising, you find yourselves around a lot of personalities of people that, that like to hoard and they feel like that by 
by them having that, that somehow or another that makes them, I, I feel like they, they feel like they're more powerful or they're more valuable or, or something like that. And, and to me, I, I find a lot more value out of connecting people and seeing what could happen from that. And I realize it sounds like some like, you know, kind of pie in the sky stuff, but I realize I always use this comparison about like singer songwriter type of thing. I realize that I'm, I am more valuable and I'm stronger based on the community around me that are doing things. And that if I can play a part in that, then I feel like, you know, even if I don't get the quote unquote, like credit for it or anything like that, that I can somehow or another revel in, and, and be excited in, in that success seeing that happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I totally understand feeling good about being part of a win, whether it's your win or not your win, mm -hmm. like, you know, good things are good things, no matter who they're happening to. That's so, it. Uh, I, I totally understand that. When and when you're you, surrounded by good things, yes, just naturally, you feel like life is good. <laughs> I agree. I agree. When did you, I'm assuming that the process of realizing that this was something that was important to you took some time. Like where, when did it sort of like coalesce? Well, when did it start and when did it kind of coalesce? You know, that's, that's interesting and it's quite, it's quite introspective that, um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I think naturally I've, I've always, I'd say that relationships have always been an important thing to me. I grew up as a, you know, as a kid to a, a single parent, my dad died when I was young, you know, you have, I think you begin to realize how important relationships are just in general. And I think for me, the wrestling point was my enthusiasm in most cases in my younger years scared people away because I was, I was literally just <laughs> insane. You know, you, you could, you know, I think they called it when I was a kid, like ADD and, and things like that. But Sure. It's, you know, for those that know me now and think like, wow, that guy is pretty intense and, and, you know, and sometimes I am intense and I'm insane, but as a kid, I think that maybe I just didn't know where to focus it. And, but, but I knew that I just wanted to be a part of people, you know what I mean? And I, I wanted to be a part of that, that, that fabric of, of things. And, and, you know, I, I think life without relationships and without people is, I mean, it's, you know, I think some people say that they want that, but I, I personally don't understand it yet. So within the, when I turned 40, it might've been right before I turned 40. I, Which is hard I, to believe, I, by the way. I, you, you look significantly younger than you are intimating that you are. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. <laughs> You're so flattering. But uh, no, the, I, I, I came to this place where, I realized I had spent a, a number of years doing the same things. And, and I don't mean like, oh, I go to shows or I go to record shops. I mean like, I mean these kind of bigger umbrella life things where I was kind of going through similar motions. And, and I, I just kind of thought to myself, you know, some people call it like midlife crisis or whatever. And I just said, all right, well, what do I have to do that's different, you know, going forward? And, you know, because this would be a, a Britishism or, a, you know, a whatever, but a lot, a lot of people, I would say that probably look at my personality as like Marmite. Marmite is a thing that people put on toast or, or whatever. I've heard and of it. People either love it or they hate it. Right. And, and, and I think that I have the ability to have that sort of personality that if you're vibing with it and, and 
and you understand that that where I'm coming from, then you're then that you really vibe with that. But if you don't, I probably just come off as you know a bit of a, a, bit, a bit of a madman. And so I had to really look at that and say, okay, what are I had to de- define this like greater why statement, like you know why do I exist, right? And and I realize it sounds super existential, but it's actually like brass, concrete, black and white. It's just like and for me, it was I was reading this fantastic book called Simon Sinek, and it, it's called Start with Why, and he says and this is on a business sense, but he says, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, right? And, and that could be applied to, to I feel like people, people aren't f- f- like truly friends with you for what you do. They're, they're, they're friends with you for like why you are a human, right? Like you're like the, the bones of, of who you are. And so when I started to realize that I had to define that and, and I, I didn't come up with a clever s- statement, it was just three words that I, that I could tie back to being a kid. I like, I love to create whether it was like when I was a kid and I would do graffiti or I'd make fanzines or, or whatever it was. I like to connect again. Like, you know, when I was young, we would, we, we went to like punk and hardcore shows and I used to like book the shows and I used to sell the records and stuff like that. And this was all as a teenager. I used to book like animal rights, like fur protests and stuff like that. I liked being a part of that connection and bringing people that shared ideas together. And then inspire. The inspire part was actually the bit that I got hung up on because I realized, and especially in the the kind of society that we're in right now, we automatically, we turn to the opposite of inspiration the second that someone doesn't share a belief or a value. And I'm guilty of that just like everyone else. Just like, well, you you don't agree with me? Well, you're an idiot, right? And so right around that time where I was 40 and I started, this is a funny thing, I started reading for the first time in my life. And I, like I, the ADD kid, I didn't like to read. I like pictures, right? Sure. I like doing design. I like music. I like the liner notes, but like you can take them in pretty quick and pretty yeah. easy. Um, five minute read. Exactly, right? <laughs> and then, so I started reading stuff and I started exploring really the idea of empathy and trying to understand others better and that you don't have to agree with people but if you can understand them and realize that we're all completely irrational people, but that all of our views come from a life experience. And those views are like a colored goggle that we wear. And that until we can understand what made those goggles that color, we cannot begin to understand why that person thinks that way. And so trying to, trying to go that route. And so that was a really, really long-winded answer as to when did I realize that I was a connector? And I when I was able to look at myself and say, here's this thing that's missing in who I am that allows me to, to truly connect people, that was the moment that I realized that I was a connector and that I wanted to be a connector and that you can't be a connector without empathy. Nice, that was, I would high five you right now if uh, <laughs> we weren't just on like Zoom screens here. <laughs> so connecting, connecting is an interesting thing. How much of the connecting that you do or that you enjoy is like a business networking thing versus like, a, hey, I want these people in my life as parts of my life type thing? Well, uh, also, you're, you're on a roll with the good questions, Mike. <laughs> you know, and I read all the reviews about how great Mike was, but this is great stuff to talk about and important stuff to talk about because I think that it's, uh, kind of going back to some things with books, um, referencing also this guy Simon Sinek again. He wrote this fantastic book called the called the Infinite Game, and it's about 
It's about that we're this thing called life. We can't win it or lose it, right? I mean, you could lose it, you can die, right? But we can't win. We can't be the best at life, right? We can't do these things. Uh, we can't win it. Uh, you know, if there's not a start, if there's not a defined start and finish where all the, you know, all the competitive nature of it, like can be counted and, and whatever, you can't start, you know, you can't win it. And so when you begin to look at life in the longer, in the longer scope, it's not about like, oh, I need this now or I need this now, but it's, it's playing to, to play the game and, and to like that life is fluid, right? And, and it's a journey and we're, we're on it. And so I think, I think when I look at, I use this reference a lot, like in business, a lot of people talk about like what they call like B2B, which is business to business or whatever. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that that is absolute crap. Like B2B is not B2B, it's P2P because even if you work for Google and I work for Apple and you and I are talking about, you know, oh, well, we need to do this and we need to do this. At the end of the day, we're still humans. And, our, and again, back to that idea of, of worldviews, those things are affecting what we're doing. And so when I started my own businesses, you know, I looked at it as a way of like, I, I want to do business with people that I would like to have a relationship with. Like, I don't want to do business with just somebody that I'd like to just have a casual drink with or, and that's fine. I will do, don't get me wrong. But like, what am I? I just need to make sure that I'm not. Okay, cool. I thought that my voice was coming through on the radio station. Oh, wow. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been really bad if all of this was coming through right now. But anyway, so where was I? So, you know, I think that relationships are that important that if you want to have good business, you have to have good relationships. And if you know, the second that we go into a relationship where we're like, oh, well, the client's an idiot or whatever, that automatically it puts everything off at a wrong place. We have to remember sure. that that person is coming to work every day like you are. They have their ambitions. They're dealing with whatever crap that they're dealing with in their life. And so it's like, you know, sometimes you end up in business relationships with people that you're just like, oh man, that's the, that's the one person on the team that I'd rather not deal with. <laughs> but, you know, but it's, you know, it is what it is. So for me, again, life is about relationships and it's not, it's, I would say everything is, I would say everything in life is personal, whether we like to admit it or not. That's a really interesting point you raise. I, as, as you were talking, I was figuring out what you were trying to say, uh, <laughs> or not figuring out what you were going to say next, kind oh, okay. of, which is a bad habit. <laughs> You're like, is this that guy going to stop have, talking? No, no, no. I want you to talk, talk, talk. This is all about talking. And I, I, it is interesting. I, I have to kind of like process that in my head because I agree with you that every relationship you have is a personal relationship just by virtue of the fact that it involves you and other people. Right. You know, but there are times when I sort of take business relationships and compartmentalize them into not transactional, but not not meaningful in the way that I prefer relationships to be meaningful. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, I mean, that's a great point. I'm not saying that every, every business relationship you're that you get into, you're going to have one of those life changing, but you know, like I think that, and again, if we value ourselves, I feel like entering into, and, and I realize like when we work for massive corporations, we can't necessarily control that. But like, if we're, if we're, you know, entrepreneurs or if we're small business people or we're freelancers or whatever, that, that, you know, if we can find a way to value ourselves enough to say that, like, you know, we try to do business with people that, that, you know, that, that we also value that we would like to have a relationship and grow with, 
you know, again, to me, that's, that's playing that infinite game. It's not a, it's not a one-time transaction. And you said something that just triggered me really hard. And, and I like let's this. This see, is happening. Let's see where this goes. But you, you had mentioned like kind of compartmentalizing things and, and, and when I think of when we as humans, we automatically begin to categorize sorts of things. I think that we're not able to give that person or I'm going to go here, those, that group of people, the same, you're not going to look to them or to that person the same way. And, and, and I think that that in some cases, and I'm not digging in, in as deep as racism or things like that, but I sure. am digging as, as deep as, as anything from a belief to a, to a sexuality, to a religion. I mean, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it. anything. The second that we begin to, I feel like our minds compartmentalize people and groups of people, things happen where our, our view of them changes. Absolutely. And, and, and so, yeah, it's a, I think it's something that's worth thinking about and looking at. It, it really is. And I think that current events are maybe making some people think of that a little more, you know, uh, speaking from my own experience as someone who is a lot of things that are other, it is always interesting to walk into a room and have a transaction with somebody new or even with somebody that I have known, you know, maybe in passing don't know well, and try to figure out what this person sees me as because I could potentially walk into a room and be Mike. I yeah. could walk into a room and be a black guy. I could walk into a room and, you know, be defined by my sexuality or my relationship status or the way that I'm dressed or, you mm -hmm. know, the music that I listen to or whatever. And it's just like an interesting thing to figure out because I know that often I am not viewed as just a human being as Mike when I walk right. into a room it is interesting to try to figure out who's looking at me in what way. Yeah. And it's, it is a, you know, it's, it's a great thing because like, I, you know, I've spent since, you know, definitely since the, since the, since the George, George Floyd events in, in Minneapolis and stuff like that, I, I spent a lot of time, you're going to, I'm going to stop saying, I spent a lot of time reading books, but I've been, <laughs> no, I've, I've been More reading a lot of books. books. And, 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 I, and I did it for the reasons of, you know, so I, I went the route that everyone went, I think, uh, maybe partially, like, I, I know a lot of my colleagues and friends, you know, I was like, you got to read these books. So I, I, I read, you know, White Fragility, and then I read, so you want to talk about race and, and things like that. And, 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 the, and, you know, understanding, to be honest with you, understanding with, with actual open eyes that like, oh, wait, maybe I am playing a part of this that I'm, that I'm not even conscious of, but being open to saying like, okay, let's take a look at this. But you know, it's, it's, we, we are never going to live in a world. Our brains don't process people. And I'm removing, I'm removing the systemic side of, of things that sure. like is, is so deep in our brains that, you know, that we have years and years and centuries probably of, of undoing that. But our brains just as a general rule, and, and there was a reference in one of these books that there's this part of your brain that goes back to like primal times and that, and it, but it, again, this kind of goes back to life experiences and worldviews and things like that, where, where things sit parked in brain based on something that happened. And so we automatically, we're pattern, see human brains are pattern finders. And so the second that we see something that then reminds us of something else, we're judging. We're judging before, like before, 
you know, within a split second. And, and there's almost no way around that because it's happening before we even know that it's happening. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, but it is a really interesting thing is that what can you do about it? Like the second that you realize it. And for, for me, and this was going back to the, the connecting thing and, and even what we're talking about relationships, the first thing I want to do is like ask questions and, and begin to understand because just throwing a, a, a kind of curveball, I had to back in like 05, 04, 05, when I first moved to New York City, I suffered insanely from panic attacks. And weirdly enough, after having that and being just like open enough to be like, I wasn't afraid to be a, a guy and, and tell people <laughs> about, I'm scared to leave my house, you know, things like that. Once I began talking about it, I realized that a lot of people, you know, especially a lot of men, suffered from it greatly as well. And, but then one of the great things that I found is that forcing myself back in the, the, the way that I was able to overcome panic attacks, and now I call myself a, a survivor or a victor of, of, of that. It's not to say that I don't feel one coming on, but I know what to do with it. Sure. People, people don't, people aren't necessarily fearing something or another. They're fearing the panic attack. And the panic attack comes from the pattern, right? And, and, the, and it's kind of like falling off of a bike. Like if you fall off a bike and you don't get back on, you're afraid of how you felt when you fell, right? right. You're not afraid of actually falling. You're afraid of how it felt when, it, when you fell. And so building that pattern, you have to force yourself back into situations that make you uncomfortable again so that the, the last memory of it is not like the one before, right? And then that's how you begin to, you know, kind of change your mind to get through the things that, you know, are the patterns that have been built in your brain. And I think that's the, that's the same thing that has to happen with, with everything from, you know, how we look, again, literally how we look at every single social issue in the world right now. I, that's, you know, we're not going to say that you didn't have a bad experience living in a certain type of neighborhood or that you, you know what I mean? We're, no one should discount that you went through something that was traumatic. We can't tell you that that's wrong. What we can tell you is that you need to try again. And chances are those goggles will change your color. You know what I mean? 100%. I, I've had this discussion with people before. And I do think a lot of prejudice is rooted in lack of exposure. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, a lot of people who may not have had any experience with people who aren't like them in whatever way they're not like them, or yeah. people who've had one experience and it wasn't the greatest experience, or they didn't come in with their full self or whatever it was. I think, you know, once that lack of exposure is destroyed and you're, you find a common ground, you find something to relate to some kind of common experience or you're open-minded enough, which I don't think is the case with people who are prejudiced, you're open-minded enough to accept someone's different experiences valid. Mm -hmm. Like things don't change unless we have those, those experiences with well, each yeah. other. Yeah. I mean, th think about, think about even the most, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying, I, I don't think I've ever used the word primal like three times in a conversation, but <laughs> think about like the most simple, basic primal, you know, functions and features. Like think about the first time you, you ate like a, I don't know, like an olive or, 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 you know, or you had a, a sip of beer or something like that. And you were just like, oh, like, you know, like I'm picking those things that are close to me, but like, you know, something that you just really didn't like the first time you had it. And you're like, all right, let's try that again. And, you know, if, 
you know, I remember in 2007, I hated olives, but I was such a wine drinker that I was like, I feel like I need to like olives. And I was like, I'm going to make myself like olives. And so for like a month straight, I kept getting, ordering different types of olives and getting it on meals that I was having. And now I snack on them, man. Like, like it's just, but again, I hated them until the time I was like 27 years old. Yeah, I'm not there yet, Curtis. (laughs) (laughs) Me and Olives are not friends. We got to change those goggles, man. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Um, But, you know, it's the same thing. You know, you meet people, they're like, oh, I don't like wine or I don't like gin or I don't like, I'm just trying to think of other things that people don't like. And, you know, eventually, you know, if you're open to just saying, you know what, life's short. You know, there's... There's, there's got to be a reason people like these, unless it's Marmite, because some like it and some hate it. <laughs> but, I, I uh, don't know. I know of it. I don't know specifically what it is, but I feel yeah. like it's gross. So I'm just going <laughs> to. It's yeasty. So, but yeah, so it's, I, I think, I think it's a good thing. And I think, I think if we began like as a, as a community, as a culture, if, if what our legacy was known as is we were the we were the people that that everything wasn't about being right or wrong everything that we think or do isn't finite but that we that we we open a posture to saying you know what there's a lot of things in the world and a lot of things i don't understand and i don't necessarily really like but let me let me try them a few more times because, you know, not every olive is the same, you know, not every, bottle, not every bottle of wine tastes the same. Not every, you know, you know, not every, I'm being, I'm, I'm going to be bold. Not every single Trump supporter is, uh, <laughs> is the same. Not, well, yeah, yeah I'm going to go But there. you know not what, you're absolutely single, right. You're absolutely right. Not every Trump no, supporter is the same. Not every, everything is. Right. Yeah. And so, and, you know, I think that. I think that then softening those edges around everything, we don't become these massive valleys between thoughts and belief. And that, that, that just the softness between that, they're not these two hard edges that are that far apart. They're, they're, they're spaces for kind of crossover and, and for, for softening of each other and growing from each other and, 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 and somewhat less division. That's kind of the weird pie in the sky that I, I, I think I, I seek to be. <laughs> I hear you. I, I totally understand that. And I, I would say that I'm mostly the same. You know, there are some very hard, there are very hard no's for me. In yeah. some cases, just because if I feel like my humanity is called into question, I will not, you know, I won't offer the olive branch because it's mm. just not, you know, it's, 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 legitimately like hurtful or not healthy yeah. for me to have to constantly justify my need Abs- to exist. your existence yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no and and i fully i i 100 you know like i i look at it as like I, I know a lot of people that grew up in and what do you call it like almost like like really really like religious uh, backgrounds mm-hmm. and and I've, I've had conversations with people that you know when when we look at when we look at discussing anything, there's, there's certain discussions that two people, unless there's already a respect, a mutual respect built that we don't need to have, which is like, for me, it's the pain of social media and it just makes everyone hate everyone more because we're, we're having conversations with people that, that we're not, we're in two different places and, and we've, not, we've not found the place 
that that we can establish a trust or a respect yet to to have these conversations. And so, to your point, you do not need Mike to ever have to defend, you know, who you are, what you know, or or why you are, or any of those things. I think that when we have people that we respect in our lives that also respect us, but that are maybe they don't agree again, maybe they don't agree with everything. Then that's upon us or them to say, you know, I, I'd really like to discuss this because we can have this conversation. And, you know, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't need you to agree with me, but I need you to understand. And that's sure. just, that's just saying, I need you to be a human that has empathy, which is what Absolutely. unfortunately the leadership in our country has lacked it's, since. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. I, I think it's, I mean, I don't know if it's an American thing because I'm an American, but that also uh, sort of leads me sideways to, to another question, which is, you know, you are obviously not American. I'm born here, believe it or not. Were you really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when did I you- just, I, I just come from non, non-American roots, Irish and Polish. Okay. Because um, so yeah. it feels like there's a little accent back there somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's always been there. Okay. <laughs> you know, the, the way that masculinity is interpreted tends to vary from upbringing to upbringing and culture to culture. What has been your experience as someone that at the very least has, you know, is sort of one step away from, from not American in terms of your upbringing, like, how is that, how, how was masculinity like taught to you? Were, were, you, were your folks, well, or your mom or, or whatever, you know, cause I'm assuming you were raised by just you your get, mom, which is not a, you're about to get a deep answer, my man. <laughs> all right. Let's, I, I'm, this is all about the deep answers. So how, how was that framed for you as a kid hmm. and into adulthood? Yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I need to think about the way to frame that answer. Sure. It's interesting because I was actually having a conversation last night with a with a friend. We were sharing just our our own journeys and our, our backgrounds and things like that. And you know, I unfortunately, I'm I'm actually going to play it in a weird way. I'm going to say that I I unfortunately unfortunately and fortunately for me, my my dad died when I was three, and me saying unfortunately and fortunately will probably make people go, hmm. The unfortunate part, I think, was, you know, just the on the surface what you what you can get. Like, oh wow, you know, three-year-old boy, his dad dies. And, you know, and I'm raised by essentially my mom, who at the time I think was 35, and my sister who's like five and a half years older than me. So <clears throat> masculinity was a <laughs> was a really, really interesting and challenging process. And and I'll give you a, a few <laughs> I don't even believe I'm going to share some of these things with you, but I, I think they're important that you, you just see it. I, <laughs> so, you know, growing up, I certainly at it from a young age, because of my background, I grew up enjoying football, like the round ball. That you oh, yes. Things like that. I've seen your Twitter. Um, <laughs> I have, um, you know, a little, you know, a little bit of a not, I, I grew up in the state of Virginia wasn't born there, but I grew up in the state of Virginia and I had a, a, a sound kind of like this. So I didn't fit in with, you know, all them good old boys that, you know, I went to school with that mm -hmm. were like, hey, you know what I mean? I can throw it on really fast, but can uh, you? I can start saying, I can say, y'all, man, like suddenly I went to my 20th anniversary uh, high school reunion, right? And I came back and suddenly it was like 
man, that's killer, man. You know, everything's killer, you know? But anyway, so wow. yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really good with throwing on different accents if I need to. But where I'm going with this is that, you know, I lived in a uh, definitely a lower middle class area and, and, you know, definitely Confederate flag world. And, you know, the guy, the, the kids, the boys that I grew up around, you know, were hunters and fishers, you know, fishers and stuff like that. And here I was, I was the guy that liked the, the, am I allowed to paraphrase? Sure. Okay. I liked that, that fag sport, which was, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Soccer's so, a fag sport? I mean, it, I guess when you're in the South and, and, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's the early eighties and, and, uh, you know, yeah. So, you know, early on, like, I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm not a part, you know, and, and you try to kind of claw your way up to, to this kind of thing. And, and, you know, unfortunately as a boy, then you're like, you're like, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like that. You know, like I got to prove something to, to find out that you don't really prove anything. You just, you just puff up a bit and you like try to, you try to like, you know, I don't know, get into that like herd thing. Yeah. And then when you realize that it doesn't work, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I think it's kind of hard to take on, on the chin. I remember when I was about eight or nine years old. This is the funny part that I've definitely never shared this publicly. A few of my friends know this and my, my, my wife knows this. Is I was really into the band Motley Crue. I think when I was in like eight years old or seven years old or how it would have been like maybe 87, something like that. So okay. I would have been- Girls, girls, girls. Yeah, yeah. I would have yeah. been about nine years old. And, and my teacher gave us this assignment that was like, we had to write a, an essay. If we could be any animal, what, what kind of animal would it be and why? right? Oh, I want to hear the answer to this. <laughs> this is, it's so ridiculous that like, you can't make this stuff up, Mike. You can't make this stuff up. This is comedy gold. I said that I wanted to be a pig and I wanted to be a pig so that I could lay around all day long in my, I, I would live at my Motley Crue mansion and I'd be in the hot tub and all the girl pigs would be serving me and like, you know, and, and <laughs> all this stuff. And, you know, when you think about, I'm, I was, you know, I was a son of a, a, you know, I was being raised by a, a mom and, a, and an older sister. Let's just say when that one, those, those essays were posted on a board for like, oh. a, like people came and saw it. And my mom saw that one. Mm. And real quick, <laughs> my, my mom is, uh, she is, she is, she is a, firecracker she's a feisty woman she is as polish as polish gets she does not put up with anything and one thing that she wasn't going to put up with was her son becoming a a shitty misogynistic that's the only curse word i'm going to say on the show by the way but she was not going to tolerate her son growing up like that and very quickly and i'm thankful for that now is that she she said you know what we are not doing anything for you anymore you're making your bed. And again, remember I'm seven, eight, nine years old, whatever it is. She's like, you know, and it, up until that point, she made my bed, you know, she washed and folded my clothes and blah, blah, blah. And suddenly all those things that, that, that she did, she was like, nope, this is you now. And, and that really dro drove me. And I, I remember thinking like, you know, I'm right. What do you, I mean, I like Motley Crue, mom, <laughs> you know, girls, girls, girls. Uh, and, but I think that it's interesting. And I think if she was listening to this right now, and maybe I'll send it to her, I think that gesture that she did 
it, it really, really set me on it. And, you know, I think then through those years, once I realized I didn't fit and I was trying to be this thing that I, I you know, maybe I could have developed into becoming, and, you know, I probably wouldn't be st stood here talking to you now, I, but I do now see that as a pivotal point in my life where, you know, then I started seeking out the, the other things and I was just like, you know what, I don't need to be like all these other guys. And, and I got into, you know, punk rock and, and punk rock is a movement, you know, as well as the, as, as the music at the time, but like, it was very, very progressive and very liberal and it was very political and it was very, you know, we were looking at sexism and homophobia and, and all these things. And, and weirdly enough, I feel like that is all of those steps kind of in succession helped slowly develop my, my vision of masculinity and, and what it meant to be, you know, just a man. And that like being a man wasn't about taking, it wasn't about being shitty or I said it twice, you know, how could you <laughs> take, you know, taking advantage or, or anything like that, that it, it was, it was about caring. It was about, you know, trying to, and people get really hung up on this word leadership, but it was about trying to be a leader. And, and a leader doesn't mean that, you know, that you're, you know, you're, you know, you know, a Trump, <laughs> you know what I mean? A person like that, but a leader just has a vision and, and, and helps to try to make people feel comfortable and, and, and share and say like, here's what I'm thinking. Can we get there together? And, and that was, you know, those were those were big important lessons for me so you're not getting a short answer from anything mike <laughs> I'm, and I, I'm, I am 100 percent here for that that is a very interesting <laughs> definition of what leadership is and i don't know that a lot of people actually think about that when the word leader the word leadership comes to mind i think and obviously i can't speak for everybody I feel like a lot of people assume a leader is someone who's like the loudest person in a room or the bull in the china shop or you know w whatever that image conjures up but i do feel like a true leader is you know a harriet tubman somebody who brings people yeah. with them somebody who galvanizes and, and unifies people who might not even necessarily be in the same metaphorical room and moves everybody up together. You made the great word. It's, it's a leader helps things move, right? And, and sometimes that requires pushing. Sometimes that requires pulling. Sometimes that requires being pushed. You know what I mean? It's, but but it, is, it is someone that I feel like is willing, to, is willing to be wrong and can accept that they're wrong. It's somebody that can, that can but that can also have a vision and, and, and be willing to leap and, and do it where others are afraid. And to me, that's what a leader is. And, and, and I think this is actually another good example segue is that I learned a lot of that from even my wife. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm married to a, a very strong, sometimes stronger <laughs> than, than, than I'm always, you know, able to deal with, you know, it, she did give me that belief that, you know, she, she saw leadership in, in the means of, you know, she wants somebody to believe in. And, and sometimes it doesn't mean that sometimes she's not going to be the boss, but it's, you know, but a leader leads when they, when they need to. And, and sometimes a, a leader needs, needs somebody to, to kind of, you know, back them. You know, it's not, it's not all about like, you know, you know, 
I think, you know, I feel like you see some of the leaders in, in our history and they, you know, they dealt with self-doubt. They dealt with, you know, failures. They dealt with um, tragedy. They dealt with all these things. But, but when it came time to, you know, do what they needed to do, they were able to, to like you said, like, I almost want to say movement. It's like, you know, leaders make movements and, and movements bring people in. And that's how once we realize that leader, uh, being a leader doesn't mean being solo either. I feel like the best right. leaders are the people that were able to, to communicate with enough people to say, this is about us. And, you know, all I've got is the map. But, you know what I mean? So I love, I love talking in analogies as well, Mike. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> and, that, you know, that goes back to what we were talking about at the top of this about community. Like a leader is not kind of holding the flag and walking towards whatever the goal is with the flag with nobody behind them or nobody next yeah. to him. Like, you know, yeah. it, 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 progression yeah. is usually or progress is usually a community effort. And, you know, the, the best leaders know how to take advantage is a, is a bad term to use, but they know how to utilize the resources of everyone in a group to achieve the desired mm -hmm. result. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I think that's perfect. Like that, that perfectly sums up in the sense that like, yeah, because they're in order to be a leader, you can't just run forward and say, come on, everybody. It requires enrollment. Right. And, and enrollment requires that, that I spend the time to share with you what that vision is. You know what I mean? And, and then, then when, then when you're enrolled, the, like, Going back to transactions, the transaction's taken place and you're in, you're, you've, you've bought in and, and we're moving forward together. And that's, and that's, that's the difference. Yeah. Right. It's not that flag, that person running far ahead. It's the person that's actually kind of walking with you and, and, and talking to you and, and having you roll, roll along with. I agree. I agree. So switching gears a little bit, how did you, how did you become kind of an entrepreneur? Like you've got the radio station and you've got, you know, the consulting and marketing stuff you do. Like, how did you, when, well, how did you not become like a corporate, you know, a shirt and tie, like cubicle dude and decide to kind of do your own thing? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting one because, you know, growing up again in that, in that scene that I was a part of when I was young, everything, everything we did, we, we it was called DIY, you know, everything was do it yourself. And, it's interesting for, for the, I'd say for like the bad rap that I think that, you know, like punk communities just because of like violence or just, you know, like <laughs> you should see this dog, you know, those, those sorts of things. So I took so much great from that and it didn't help me to overcome necessarily, necessarily everything. I was still an insecure kid, right? I was still, I was still trying to find my way growing up and things like that, but somehow or another at a young believe we, we believed in the future. We believed that uh, we believed that we could do things. We believe that it's pretty amazing to think that like you have a subculture and you have like, you have a scene that, that it like, it's such a huge part of your life that you feel like that's your, again, that's your world. Like we can do anything like this is, this is the world we live in. We don't need to live in that world. Right. And then I think, I think that as you, as you grow older, you, you tend to kind of, you know, I, I, th there's always that saying that, you know, people are generally 
like really liberal when they're young and as they get older they become more conservative mm -hmm. and i don't even necessarily mean in a voting political sense i just mean like in risk taking and, and things like that and i think that that's partially true but I, I don't i don't necessarily think that it's it's that it has to be that way i think that we we go that way because we find ourselves getting more and more comfortable but then i think that emotionally and psychologically we actually start becoming less and less comfortable right and you know so i i certainly went the route interestingly enough i was in i was in like the you know i was in bands and we would tour and we would do all this but a friend of mine had introduced me um to a bank and you know i had while while i was in whilst we were like and things like that i got a job at a bank <clears throat> that would that was a decent wage and and it, you know it, it enabled me like somewhat nicer things in, at that point in life and but it also gave me the time that if I needed to leave to go on tour for a month or whatever, I could do that. I'm right. like, that's cool. Let's do this. Right. And, and I realized that that was kind of like the beginning of, of my, my, my changing or whatever. But when a few years later, by this point, I had already been married. There was no, there was no more bands. There was no more anything like that. I remember feeling really like kind of bitter and, and just being like, what did I do? It was only like three or four years after this, you know, after the band stuff or maybe actually only like two and a half years, but I was just so miserable with what I was doing. And I was having to, you know, again, it's, it's a grind for the sake of the grind. It, it's, it's not a movement. It's not people that believe in this thing that we're working towards. It's, it's everybody working for themselves to look better so that they can get a promotion so they can get a better paycheck you know, we're not, we're not in this thing that that's driving forward. Right. And so I started seeing that my Heidi, my wife, she said, you know, you know, what do you want to do? You know, you know, and, and we almost, we did this like almost like list of things. And at that point in time, I went back to school for, for design. And interestingly enough, you know, you, you go with these, these ambitions, I'm going to go do design so that I don't ever have to work like a job like that again. So, cause I'm just going to make record covers and posters and t-shirts and, <laughs> you know, all, you know, right. You know, what everyone's going to do. Right. And quickly then you realize, well, <laughs> no, you're not, <laughs> not going to do that at all, actually, because one, it doesn't pay. And two, um, yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> so kind of carrying on, I then accidentally found myself in advertising. I worked for every single big agency in, you know, in the New York and the world. And again, then you wake up and you realize, okay, I've been making great money. I have, you know, on, on the surface, I have, you know, I have everything I, you know, I want, I have, you know, all these things. And then you're like, but, but this sucks. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm so grounded in by these, these, these arbitrary boundaries of, of, you know, what we can do creatively, how are we solving problems? What are our relationships like, et cetera, et cetera, that you realize that the walls are too thick for you to really make any lasting change for you to really change anything. Sure. And, and I think, you know, then, then you just draw yourself back to, you know, like, you know, I want to, I, I don't know. I, I want to take people forward. I want to inspire people. I want to, and, and I think that DIY nature comes back to you and you and, and you think, well, everything's hard when you first try it but you just have to you just keep keep at it and eventually those things that are hard at first everyone everybody's you know if we talk about imposter syndrome everyone's an imposter the first time you do something yeah man and and, and getting over the hump of it and getting through that period where you're like 
like even like starting your own business or like, for instance, like starting the radio station or, or anything like that, you hit bits where you're just like, whoa, this is really hard. I didn't expect this to be so hard. But then I think when you see yourself through that, that you carry on and you do it. And, and I think that for what it's worth, like I'm, I'm, I'm making, you know, peanuts compared to the money that I used to make. But, you know, with, with this whole coronavirus thing and, and everything else that's going on, I feel, and it doesn't mean that some days I don't want to quit, but for the, for, I'd say the umbrella effect is that knowing that this thing that we're building has a community of, of like in the sense of the radio has, you know, hosts and a community of people that really support each other. We have people that listen with the, with the creative company. We're working directly with the clients. We're, we're working directly with vendors that we bring in to, to work with us. We're helping to, to lead, <laughs> lead the way that we know how to lead. And that's not to say that we're not wrong or right, you know, you know, right or wrong, but it's just that like, we're, we're learning those things. And so for me, it's, it's great to experience that. And, and I, I, I highly recommend that people do it because we all are going to doubt ourselves and be like, well, I couldn't do that. Or, you know, I've, the amount of people that say, you know, oh, I just couldn't afford to live like that. Or, 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 you know, I don't have the money or, or I don't have, the truth is, is that you'll find a way to do those things that you want. And it's not to look at from we're here at zero and to look to a hundred and be like, here's where I need to be right now. Uh, I use, I use, I told you, I love to speak in analogies. <laughs> you don't open the, you know, the package of Ikea furniture and go, and there's the shelf. Right. You have to go through the steps. Right. And, and as you begin to build the base of it, then it starts to build up a little bit. And then you're like, Oh, there's that shelf. And, and it doesn't mean that, you know, there's not things that you can do to accelerate those things. But I think that, you know, you know, no parent like thinks like, oh, well, hey, you know, do you want to have a kid? And you're like, well, let's think about what college looks like. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you're, you're literally just thinking about like, you just have to look at the, the near future and have a vision. And, and I think when you have that, it's okay if the vision doesn't pan out and you have to say, maybe that iteration of that business didn't work out. What can you take that you learned from it to carry on that, that momentum that you have? Because you're not a failure because you started something that didn't work out in that way. But what you can do is extract everything that you gained from it to set up the next thing foundationally stronger to, you know, to build upon. So, so that's how I fell into this. And yeah. I, I think it's really important to hear stuff like that and also to sort of be aware that if you have a plan in mind, most likely it's not going to work out exactly the way, no, I mean, life, not. you know, you don't start, you know, when you're 17, 18 and say, when I'm 25, my life is going to look like this. It never, it's never going to never look does. exactly like that. And you might yeah. end up doing the thing that you wish that you want to do or you wish you had done, but it's not going to, you're not going to get there the way that you anticipated getting there. Like not at all. Yeah. This, this, the script and, is not written. And it's not, it's not at all. And, and, but I do believe and and, and I realize that sounds hokey, but I, I do believe that when you make the things, you know, that, you know, like yourself or, or, or whatever, when you make the things that you are passionate about, it takes showing up. It takes putting it out there. It takes, it takes being open to the criticism that I'm sure that you face sometimes. It, it, it takes those days that someone really hurts you because they dogged your, your art, but it also, it also brings in those days where you're like, 
what you get from it is, is so, so much more valuable than you could imagine that, you know, again, looking at that thing, and, and this goes back to that statement before of, of people don't, people aren't on board for what you're doing. They're on board for why you're doing it. Right. And, and if, if your goal is like, when you go like people that say, I don't, I can't start a business because I don't have enough money. Well, I mean, are you, are you saying that you don't have enough money to live for the next like five years (laughs) or, or is the first step saying, okay, I have this idea and this is why I think this is a great idea. And this is why I think you'll like it. And let me, what is the, what is the minimum, this is tech talk, but what is the MVP, the minimum viable uh, product that I can put out to get this thing started so that we can, we can get those wheels turning so that we can turn this into a thing that's moving, right? It's like a, a car when you, when you, when you're parked, you can't turn the wheels when it's parked. Right. But the second you just start moving forward a little bit, you can, you can start to move it a little bit, right? You fall down on a bike if you were to just like not pedal and just sit there, like you have to be moving forward. And at that point, you can begin to, you can begin to direct yourself. You don't have to think about this long-term thing. And if your why is to, you know, to have great conversations like this, like this podcast, or if your why is to provide something that you're like, you know, I really think people would really want to have this in their life or whatever it is. I think when you're able to focus on that, all those other things, you know, they're not, they're not forefront in your mind. And you don't have to quit your job tonight to start this business idea that you have. You just have to put in an extra hour tonight to say, okay, here, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to commit an hour every day for the next six weeks. And then we'll try to figure out what's the, what's the smallest version of this I can do and see where it goes. And then just be open to the fact that some people are going to rip you and they're going to, they're going to hate you and they're going to do anything that they can, you know, to, to bring you down whilst you're also having to deal with those own demons in your head where you're saying, I'm not good enough. I can't do this and et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think that once you can see through that because you love it enough and you care that, that much about it, you'll get on with it. And, and then, and then you're going to see the people that come around. They're like, Oh, I love you. You know, you're great. Oh, it's so awesome. (laughs) I was there with you right from the beginning. (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, but I, I encourage everyone to do that because it's, it's never hard, It's never easy, but it, I tell you what, I feel like neither is showing up at a, you know, at a, at a job that you hate for the rest of your life. Like our parents, they went to work and a lot of them worked doing the same job their whole lives. You know what I mean? And, and hated and so, it every step of the yeah, way. That's no yeah. way to live. It is not at all. And, and, you know, and when you put that into, into perspective, you know what, you're going to have, something's going to be hard one way or another, right? Would you rather it be a little bit hard dealing with the fact that, you know, you're trying to see through your vision, your dream, or would you rather it be hard because you're having to deal with the politics of, of people that don't care about you? Or, you know, you think that you have job security, but as we've seen during COVID, there's no such, no such thing. thing. So spend your life, you know, doing what matters. Curtis had a lot to say, and we barely scratched the surface of what we wanted to talk about in our initial conversation. There is actually an additional part to the conversation that I'm not posting. I thought that was a really good place to end, but I would love Curtis to come back on so we can have another chat. If you would like to hear from any other past guests on Detoxicity, hit me up on one of my socials or drop me an email, and you've already heard that information six million times, so I'm not going to go through it again, but I will thank you I will thank you. I will thank Curtis. I will thank Curtis <laughs> for appearing 
uh, for this interview. You can find Curtis online in a whole bunch of places. His website is Curtis Powers. That is Curtis with a K. CurtisPowers.co. It's got to be fancy. And you can find him on Instagram at Twitter. You can find him on Instagram and Twitter. I'm messing up. At Curtis Powers. Meanwhile, TheFaceRadio.com is where you can find the shows that Curtis sort of presides over as the, the co-founder of The Face Radio. You can also find them online or on social media. The Face Radio BK is their Twitter, and just Face Radio BK is their Instagram. I should also add that The Face Radio is a nonprofit, so consider donating to them and keeping the spirit of independent community radio alive. And of course, I'll remind you again to please subscribe, rate, leave a comment. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, it is much appreciated and only helps our mission get out to more and more people. And uh, make sure you follow me on social media. I am on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy, and I am on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph. If you have an idea for a theme or a guest, or if you yourself want to be on the show, you can reach me via either of those social media platforms, or you can, or you can email me at DetoxPod at gmail.com. Once again, I am Mike Joseph. This is the Detoxicity Podcast. I wish you continued safety and health for you and yours. Till next time. Peace, y'all. The Detoxicity Podcast is hosted and produced by Mike Joseph. Music provided by Calvin Williams. Logo provided by Jacob Block. I want to thank y'all for listening again. Peace. Peace.